Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate and not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. It is the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. So says John Piper in the introduction to his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He is, I believe, exactly right. The purpose of missions is to produce worshipers. We send missionaries to all the earth so they can lead people who don't know Jesus into a saving knowledge of Jesus so they will then begin to worship Jesus. I would also say, be accurate to say, missions is the basis or worship is the basis for missions. Our worship of God leads us to be a part of missionary endeavors. This is true whether we're talking about the Autrys taking the gospel to Bulgaria, the Panis taking the gospel to India, or the people of Northridge Free Will Baptist Church taking the gospel to Guyana. Without being passionate worshipers of God, we have nothing to tell the nations. We have nothing to tell the neighborhood. Without being passionate worshipers of God, we have no zeal to tell the nations, no zeal to tell the neighborhood about the great God we know and worship. If we are not passionate in our pursuit of God, why would anyone be interested in what we have to say about God? Worship is the goal of missions, but worship is also the basis for missions. We will be lousy witnesses if we are not passionate worshipers. Today we're going to study a psalm showing us how worship and witness are eternally intertwined. So if you haven't already, open your Bible to Psalm 96. Should be page 457 in your pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm 96 and 1 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His story among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty is in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courtyards. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples fairly. May the heavens be joyful and the earth rejoice. May the seas roar and all it contains. May the field be jubilant, all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness And the peoples in his faithfulness, or in some translations, his truth. The title of the message this morning is Declaring God's Glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We do come this morning, Father, with a desire to be passionate worshipers of our great God. Father, we pray today 
for your Holy Spirit to come and to stir our hearts, to fan into flames the, the zeal that has brought us out on this day. Fan into flames, Father, the, the, the passion that has caused us to already sing these songs of praise to you. Father, give us a, a white hot zeal for your glory, a white hot passion to tell others about the goodness and the greatness and the glory of our God. Father, today we, we ask you to show us your glory. Father, let us behold your glory in your word. And that as we behold your glory in your word, that, Father, this would lead us to a, a sense of awe at your greatness. Help us, Father, to have an elevated view of you. Father, we never want it to be said of us, our, our view of God is far too human. Father, we cannot exaggerate your greatness. We cannot exaggerate your power. Your word is clear that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. So the greatest thing we could imagine really is nothing in comparison to what you can actually do. So get, help us, Father, to set our sights on you. That we would fix our minds and we would fix our hearts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and upon your wonderful works. And our hearts would literally burn within us, Father. With zeal and passion for Jesus. With zeal and passion to declare your glory to the nations. Have your way in all of us in this. Fill me with your spirit today to give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Let me speak your words and your ways for your glory. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now this psalm is a declaration of. The greatness and the majesty and the power of God. In this psalm, God is pictured as great, awesome, and, and worthy of our worship. But not just our worship. He is worthy of the worship of, of the nations, of all the peoples. God is worthy of all worship of all people in all places at all times. God is so worthy... Of the worship of all people in all places at all times. That we as the people of God devote ourselves to declaring his glory. To telling about his salvation and his wonderful deeds among the nations and to all people. For the express purpose of seeing them become passionate worshipers of God. Who also go and declare His greatness and His glories to all people. The key lesson we learn from this psalm is our worship of God must lead to passionate witness about God. Our worship of God, it must lead to passionate witness about God. To be a witness is simply to tell what we know to be true. And if we know our God is great and awesome and worthy of our praise, then that is what we go and tell. This means we are to declare God's glory among the nations and to all the peoples. This passage shows us four aspects to declaring God's glory. First is we declare God's salvation. Right? We're, we're told to, to sing to the Lord. Three times in the first verse, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. 
And the Lord is always in focus in our worship. He is the object of our worship. He should always be the focus as we sing songs of worship. Without God in focus, it's really not worship. It's just a performance. As we sing to God, we are to to bless his name. And to show forth or to declare his salvation. Now, one of the primary ways we proclaim, we declare the salvation of the Lord is we declare that it is good news and it is available through the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of God's salvation, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day in verse two. There are two primary ways we would declare God's salvation. First is we would declare God's universal salvation. And what I mean by this is we would declare the gospel in general. Every disciple of Jesus should be able to clearly, accurately and faithfully explain the gospel. This is what the gospel is. This is how you ought to respond You should repent and believe and be saved. Now, we wouldn't have time this morning to go into a a long explanation about how to share the gospel. But let me do show you one passage that that gives four components of a clear gospel presentation. This is Jesus talking. And he said it is written that Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. The repentance for forgiveness of sins we proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. The four aspects. The first is Jesus. Jesus is the message. Jesus is always the message. There is no gospel without Jesus. There may be true things without Jesus, but there's not a gospel. The gospel message, it revolves around the life, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we do not clearly explain the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we have not accurately or clearly or faithfully declared the salvation of God, the gospel. Second, we have to we have to talk about sin, right? That he would that there was forgiveness of sins. We cannot faithfully or accurately or clearly explain the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus without talking about sin. Why? Well, why did Jesus die? As an example, because he made the wrong people mad as a martyr for the cause? No, not for any of those reasons. Jesus died for sin. That's what the Bible is clear about. But not only did Jesus die for sin, okay, so Jesus died for sin, but why do I need Jesus? (laughs) Because I've sinned. Because all people have sinned. A part of explaining the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus is explaining that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we do not address sin, we have not clearly or accurately or faithfully declared the salvation of God. We also must tell them repentance is required. That Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and that, the, and that repentance For forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. The most basic definition of repentance is a change of mind about God and sin resulting in a change of life. Repentance is changing our mind about the fact that we're right and God's wrong. The average person believes we're right about sin. It's not that big of a deal and what I do is probably not sin anyway. The average person believes we're right, that we don't need salvation. 
The average person believes that we're right, that if there is a need for salvation, we can square ourselves away. We can fix it on our own. We don't need anybody else. So there needs to be a change of mind. Our sin is real. Our sin is serious. Our sin is against God. Our sin leaves us devoid of righteousness and unable to save ourselves. We desperately need Jesus. And if we have not told people they must repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have not faithfully and accurately shared the gospel to them. And then the gospel is good news. It brings the forgiveness of sins. Someone repents of their sins and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sin is taken away and they're declared to be righteous by God. This is good news. This is the best good news the world has ever known. And if we do not tell the gospel as good news, then we have not clearly, accurately or faithfully declared the salvation of our God. So we must declare God's universal salvation. God will save all who repent and believe through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also need to declare God's personal salvation, how God has saved us. Again, every disciple of Jesus, who every person who has been born again, ought to have a testimony about what Jesus has done in them and through them. And for them. And at the drop of a hat, ought to be able to tell others this testimony of what Jesus has done in them and through them and for them. Right now, there's many ways we could give testimonies, but the one about how we were saved is, is one of the main ones we have to be able to tell. And so a, a way to, to, to tell our testimony is to first talk about our life before Jesus. Because there was a time in our lives where we didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. What were we like then? What was going on in our lives at that moment? Right? How were we living prior to coming to know Christ as our Savior? Then we ought to be able to tell how we came to know Christ as our Savior. Because, again, there was a time where we didn't know Jesus. But then there was a, a specific moment in time where we did know Him. What led to that? How did we, if we were saved in a church, how did we end up in that church? If someone shared the gospel with us, who were they? How did they come to us? Were we reading God's word on our own? What were we reading? What, what were the circumstances of my life that led to me coming to know Christ as Savior? And then we ought to be able to tell our life with Jesus. How has Jesus made a difference in our life? How have we experienced His presence? How has He answered prayer? How are our lives different? Because Jesus has saved us and Jesus is in us. What has He done in us and through us and for us? Every believer, every disciple of Jesus should be able to give a personal testimony about what Jesus means to them. Listen, testimonies are powerful. God's word tells us the story of a man possessed with legions of demons. Jesus cast all the demons out of the man. And when Jesus left the region, the man wanted to go. And Jesus said, no, just go tell your friends and your family what good things the Lord has done for you. The Bible says that all the people were amazed at what he at what they heard. 
When Jesus went back to that region, the people were welcoming him and ready for him. Why? Because one man told his testimony over and over and over again. Never underestimate the power of a testimony about Jesus to make an eternal difference in someone's life. We are to declare the good news of God's salvation in both a universal and a personal way. It's not one or the other, it's both. How often are we to do this? At the end of verse 2, from day to day, we are to declare the good news of God's salvation continually. If what Jesus has done in us and through us and for us is truly great, if it is truly good news, then it is worthy of being told over and over again. And we tell it to all kinds of people. Verse 3, we, we tell of His glory among the nations and His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. The, the picture of declaring God's glory, the good news of God's salvation to all people in all places at all times. Missionary endeavors are, are literally the responsibility of every worshiper of God. We are responsible, every one of us, to labor for the success of missions. This is true whether we're talking about missions across the globe or missions across the street. All nations and all peoples mean we declare God's goodness, the good news of God's salvation to, to all nations and all people without regard to their nationality, without regard to their skin color. Without regard to their social or economic status, without regard to their political party, without regard to their sexual orientation or gender identification. There is to be nothing that stands between us and telling them the good news of God's salvation other than the opportunity to do it. We are to declare God's greatness to all people. We declare the good news of God's salvation to all people. Our worship of God must lead us to passionately witness about God's salvation. But it must also lead us to declare God's uniqueness. We see in verse 4 and 5, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. God, we are to declare God's glory because He is great and He is greatly to be praised. We declare that God is great and greatly to be praised for he alone is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of the worship of all people, right? Because for all the gods of the peoples, they're just idols. But the Lord made the heavens. God alone is worthy of worship because God alone is God. There are no other gods. The, the Hebrew word that's translated as idol often carried with it the idea of, of nothing. It was empty. It was worthless. There was nothing to it. God alone is worthy of all worship, of all people, because any other so-called God is nothing. They are empty. They are worthless. They are powerless. They are nothing. Be clear. The God of Islam is nothing. And the God of Mormonism is nothing. And the God of Jehovah's Witnesses is nothing. And the God of Scientology is nothing. And the God of New Age Spiritism is nothing. And the gods of Hinduism are nothing. And the God of Buddhism is nothing. And the God of nominal or cultural Christianity is nothing. But, it, but it's not just 
the various religious gods who are nothing. It's also the secular gods of our culture that are nothing. The, the God of wokeness is nothing. The God of self, whether selfishness or self-centeredness, is nothing. The God of pleasure is nothing. The God of politics is nothing. The God of financial success is nothing. The God of live by my truth is nothing. Therefore, they do not deserve praise, worship, or devotion from any person, anywhere, at any time. We declare God's glory because He alone deserves worship. We will proclaim the good news of all sal- of the good news of God's salvation to all peoples and all nations because God is worthy of their worship. God deserves their worship. One of the major but forgotten motives for evangelistic mission, again, whether across the nations or across the street, is God's glory. God is glorified. As we declare the good news of his salvation, our devotion to God is seen as we declare the good news of his salvation. Declaring God's salvation is an act of worship that powerfully declares his glory to a watching world. And then God is, of course, glorified when the lost are saved. God is glorified when prodigals are restored. God is glorified when captives are set free. God is glorified when broken hearts are bound up. God is glorified when ruptured relationships are reconciled. God is glorified when the spiritually dead are raised to new life in Christ. God is further glorified when these people then begin to worship God and declare His glory in their lives. There are people all around the world Who do not worship the one true God. The Lord God of heaven. And he deserves their worship. But it's not just the nations. There are people all around Guyana. All around us every day. Who do not worship the one true God. The God of heaven. And he is worthy of their worship. We declare God's glory and the good news of his salvation so they will be saved. And they will then begin to give God the glory he alone deserves. Look at verse 6. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. The idea of splendor and majesty being before God, strength and beauty being in his sanctuary seems to be that these things are an intrinsic part of who God is. That if we were to be able to see God, what we would see would be splendor and majestic, be powerful, and it would be beautiful. Wherever God is, there will be splendor, there will be majesty, there will be strength, and there will be beauty. One paraphrase renders this as, Breathtaking brilliance and awe-inspiring majesty radiate from his presence. His stunning beauty overwhelms all who come before him. If we were to see God, if he were to show us his glory, we would see him as great and awesome, majestic, beautiful, deserving of all worship. If we were to see his glory, we could not help but be overwhelmed. And we would... Declare his glory to the nations. We would declare his glory 
to all the peoples. We would not hesitate. We would not stop. We would be restless at opportunities, restless to declare his glory. Can I suggest to you that for all of us, our hesitation to declare the good news of God's salvation is not a statement about our inability or our nerves or what we don't know. It is really a statement about the greatness of our God. When we hesitate and we aren't willing to declare the good news of God's salvation, what we're saying in some ways is He's not worthy of that. He's not worthy of me having an uncomfortable conversation. He's not worthy of me putting myself out there. He's not worthy of me making my life a little bit difficult and getting out of my comfort zone. He's not worthy of that. We, we We must understand His greatness and His glory. Because when we see his glory, when we see his beauty, when we see the breathtaking brilliance and awe inspiring majesty radiating from his presence, his stunning beauty will overwhelm us and we would not hesitate or cease to declare his glory. God alone is like this. There is none like our God. Our God, our our worship of God must lead us to passionately witness About the uniqueness of God. Thirdly, we must declare God's worthiness. Since breathtaking brilliance and awe-inspiring majesty radiate from His presence. Since His stunning beauty overwhelms all who come before Him. All the peoples of the earth must give God the glory He deserves. Look at this call to worship in verses 7 and 8. Ascribe to the Lord... You families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courtyards. Worship the Lord, the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. There is an inclusive nature in this call to worship. It is a call for all families of the, of the earth, all peoples of the earth to worship God and to declare His glory. Now, this is connection back to verse three, where we tell his glory among the nations and his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. This isn't a a call saying that whoever people worship, they worship God because he's God. That's not it. It is a call for them to to come to know God through the Lord Jesus Christ and then to become worshipers of God. All nations of the peoples of the earth are to hear the good news of God's salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. They are to then repent of their sins, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And then they begin to ascribe to God the glory due his name. All nations and all peoples are to declare God's glory. All nations and all peoples are to declare God's strength. All nations and all peoples are to give God the glory that He alone deserves. But giving God glory, while it must be done with our words, it cannot be done with only our words. There must be a genuine devotion seen in the offerings we make. Notice, bring an offering and come into His courtyards. The offerings are a declaration of the greatness and the worthiness of God. 
God is worthy of those offerings. God is worthy of those sacrifices. He was then and he is now. He is still worthy of us giving him offerings, of us making sacrifices for the sake of his glory. Now, thankfully, we don't make animal sacrifices like they did then. But that doesn't mean we don't offer God sacrifices. Romans is clear. Because of the mercy of God, we're to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Holy, living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, and that is our spiritual service of worship. So as believers, those who have repented of our sins and and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are, in many ways, obligated to respond with worship. But it's not just the singing worship. It is the offering of our life as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, which is the hard part. Animal sacrifice in the Old Testament died. We crawl upon the altar, but then we wiggle and we get ourselves off. We have to get back on there again. It is a, it's not that we just die for Jesus. In many ways, that might be easier. But it's that we live for Jesus. Now, again, we don't make the animal sacrifices, but when we look to God's word, we see what kind of sacrifices we are expected to make. I don't have time to go into deep into these, but if you write the references down, you can study them out. A a living sacrifice makes a sacrifice of praise. You ever thought about our our praise, our songs as as a sacrifice? I mean, the way we worship today, was it? Costly for us. And I don't mean financially costly with the offering, the tithes. I'm talking about were we so involved in the worship that there was a, a cost, or were we distracted in our worship and kind of thinking about other things and doing other things? A sacrifice of praise being all in in our worship. The sacrifice of good works. We're not saved by works, but we're saved to do good works. And that's a sacrifice we're supposed to make because of the worthiness of our God. Financial sacrifices. Give to support the mission of the church Jesus established and to reach the world and make disciples of all nations. Then we make personal sacrifices to help reach others with the gospel. Now, God is worthy of these kinds of sacrifices. God is worthy of these and more. Making these sacrifices are part of the ways we declare God's glory. In verse 9 it says that we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We tremble before Him all the earth. Now worship, as as the Hebrew word used there, doesn't really mean so much to speak God's praises. As it does to fall down before Him in awe. It means to literally prostrate ourselves or to bow before God. And this isn't done in a, this is the part of the service where we all bow before the Lord now kind of way. This bowing happens spontaneously and naturally as we recognize the greatness, the power and the majesty and the holiness of God. Falling prostrate before God. Trembling in his presence. It's a natural response to understanding who God is and what God is like. 
our, our worship of God must lead us to passionately witness about God's worthiness. And then we declare God's reign. A part of declaring God's glory is declaring that God reigns. Say among the nations in verse 10, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns over all of the earth. The world is firmly established and it will not be moved. It is always in God's control. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. The world and all those who dwell in it belong to God. Nothing is ever outside of God's control. Not the world situation, not the climate, not the political situation, not the economy, not the circumstances of our lives. Nothing. But the emphasis here, and this is kind of a unique perspective. The emphasis of God's reign in this psalm is not just that he rules over the world. But that he brings the world into judgment. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples fairly. Look down at verse 13. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world. God is coming. And he is coming to bring judgment. And because he is the sovereign ruler over the world, he can ensure this judgment will come to pass. Now, I think there's two ways we should understand the judgment God is going to bring. First, there is God's judgment of evil. God will judge the world in righteousness. Evil often abounds in this life. Evil will often prevail in this life. Evil will often escape justice in this life. But this life is not all that there is. And while we may not see God's justice meted out, rest assured it will be. There will come a time when the wicked are held accountable for their sins and their crimes. The judge will not be a man who can be bribed, but the righteous God who judges the people fairly. There will be no legal loopholes to take advantage of. There will be no slick lawyer to talk people, to convince people to, to give a pass to what has happened. There will be nothing but the pure justice of a holy God. One day God will send Jesus. Jesus will return. And he will set right everything that has gone wrong. And a part of setting right everything that has gone wrong is he will bring judgment. But there's not just God's judgment in, in righteousness or God's judgment of evil. There's also God's judgment of people. He's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness, the peoples in faithfulness or truth. He will judge the peoples. Now, again, this is a big thing to say God judges evil. It's one thing. But understand, evil is not a thing. Evil doesn't exist on its own. Evil is not going to be judged. The people who do evil are what's going to face judgment. Now, it says he will judge the peoples in his, his truth is what most translations say. This is, a, again, a, a big statement. God has a absolute standard of judgment. And, it stud, and that standard is his truth, which is found in his word. God will judge people on the basis of whether or not they heeded his word and embraced his son. The truth of God's word will reveal the standards of righteousness and the reality of sin in a person's life. 
It will reveal the Jesus as the Savior who died for their sin. And it will reveal their hardness of their hearts as they rejected Jesus. Did the person hear the gospel and heed the gospel and be saved by Jesus? Or did they not? If not, they will face the sure and severe judgment of God. There's no stopping it. The fact that God is the Lord and that He reigns, it guarantees it. There is no stopping the Lord from bringing judgment. The Lord is able to bring the world and all of the peoples into judgment. He can do it at any time He chooses and He will do it at some point in the future. Knowing the severe and sure judgment of God moves us to declare God's glory by proclaiming the good news of His salvation. We do this because we want people to be spared from the terrible judgment to come. Look at what the Apostle Paul said. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive compensation for the deeds done in the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. Now notice this next part. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade people. Knowing that judgment was coming motivated Paul to seek to persuade people to repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For us, knowing that the Lord reigns and that this is going to bring a sure judgment should lead us to plead with people to turn from their sins and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. All the peoples of the nations who do not worship God through Jesus will face the severe judgment of God. But again, it's not just the nations. All of the people of Gaiman who do not worship God through faith in Jesus will face the sure and the terrible judgment of God. And the only hope they have is Jesus. But in order for Jesus to be their hope to save them, somebody has to tell them about Jesus. As they hear, some will believe, they will call on Jesus, and they will be saved by Jesus. But how can they call on someone they don't believe? And how can they believe in someone in whom they have not heard? I think one of the dangers for us in Gaiman, in the Bible Belt, is we assume everybody has heard. And the reality, the world where everybody knows the gospel and understands who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, if it ever really existed at all, like we thought it did, it's gone. Many in our culture, if you were to ask them, who is Jesus? What did he do? They couldn't give you a good answer. He's a nice guy. He just wants us to love each other. He just loves me. But what did he do? I, I mean, he, he's talked about loving people. I know that. And he said not to judge. I know that. But what did he do? Why, why is he important? I don't know. So they don't know. And if we don't tell them, likely no one else ever will. And they will live in a town with however many Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching churches there are. And they will never have had an opportunity to hear about Jesus, to believe in Jesus and be saved by Jesus. This is why our 
worship of God must lead us to passionately witness about God's reign. God is going to fulfill Psalm 96. And in many ways, he is fulfilling it already. God is working through his people to declare his glory, to make worshipers of every language, tribe, nation and tongue on the earth. My plea to us this morning is don't miss what God's doing in the world. Listen, make make no mistake. If we say we want to join with God and be a part of his work in the world, this is what God is doing. This is the work that God is blessing. This is what God is doing in the world. And anything that's not this, it's likely not have the blessing and the power of God upon it. The world is calling us right now at all times to give our lives to something. To go and be a part of this cause or that cause. This cause. This is God's cause. This is the cause for which Jesus died. This is the cause for which the Holy Spirit empowers. And any other cause we give our lives to that is not this cause is a lesser cause. And it is not the best stewardship of our lives. Don't miss being a part of what God's doing in the world. Be a part of it. Be a worshiper of God who passionately witnesses about God. Let's stand. I want to have a time of response this morning, and I do want to have it for two people, two groups of people, I guess. First, for those who are worshipers of God and who are ready to surrender their lives to declaring God's glory. I open the altars to come forward this morning and ask God to burn into your heart his glory and his worthiness of the worship of all people. Call on Jesus to give you opportunities to declare the glory of God And the good news of his salvation to all people. Ask Jesus to give you opportunities to tell people what he has done in you and through you and for you. Ask Jesus to give you opportunities to share the gospel with others. Surrender your life to declare God's glory among all peoples in all places at all times. However, he wants that to be done. And then second, for those who have never received Jesus as Savior and Lord. This is where everything has to start. Everything always begins with the personal independent decision to repent of sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is a change of mind about God and sin resulting in a change of life. Primarily, it is changing our mind about the nature of our sin, the guilt of our sin, and the need of Christ for our salvation. As I mentioned earlier, the average person in our nation, in our world does not believe that their sin is serious or if they have sin at all. They certainly don't believe they need another to save them from it. That's a wrong view. And repentance is a change of mind. My sin is serious. I have fallen short. I am guilty in God's court. I do need Jesus to save me. This repentance is fueled by our belief in Jesus. He did die on the cross for my sins. He did rise on the third day. He is the only hope I have. And if we have genuinely repented, if we have truly believed that following Jesus is just the natural response of our life, the, the way we live is always the testimony of the reality of our confession.
Anyone can confess Jesus as Lord with their mouths. But it's seen in their day-to-day lives. If there is no daily devotion to Jesus, be sure there is no lordship of Jesus because there is no salvation from Jesus. So the altars are open. I'll pray. And if you want to come forward, whether to surrender, to declare God's glory, or to receive Christ as your Savior, you come. Father, we love you today. You're great and awesome and worthy of our praise. Help us today. Show us how we ought to respond. Let us make bold responses to you. Surrender our lives to declare your glory. Give us opportunities. If there's any that's not saved this morning, open their eyes to see the depths of their lostness and their need of Jesus. Turn them to you, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.